Hey Peace family, it's me, John Huneman. We're excited to announce the launch of our new Pass the Peace program. When your family signs up to Pass the Peace, you'll receive the name and address of another Peace family. Then it will be your job to connect with that family somehow. Maybe you send a card, do a porch drop-off, plan a driveway meet-and-greet, send them something fun. It doesn't have to be anything big. Just let them know you're thinking of them. Be creative. You can sign up with a link in our show notes. Okay, here's the sermon. Well, this morning, since this is Martin Luther King weekend, I want to start with a quote from Dr. King. So here it is. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But by all means, keep moving. Now, I love that quote. And right after I saw it pop up on my Facebook feed, I saw this other news story pop up about a church that was right down the road from where I served on internship out in Texas. You see, this church made the news because their pastor in his last sermon told his congregation to get ready for the presidential inauguration by keeping their guns loaded. Then he told his congregation, take down the walls of Jericho. The Lord says your Jericho is Washington, D.C. Can you believe that? Now, obviously, this pastor's words, they represent an extreme viewpoint. I believe that most pastors, most Christians in churches do not support that kind of dangerous and violent language. But just to be absolutely clear, here at Peace, as a congregation, as members of the ELCA, and just as decent human beings, we, of course, condemn, we do not condone, we condemn that kind of dangerous, violent rhetoric. We condemn the kind of language that is based in fear and distrust and hate, just like we condemn the actions at the Capitol. And you've heard Pastor Doug say this, you'll hear me say it, that we are blessed here at peace to have a diversity of political views and opinions, but no matter who you vote for, no matter where your political leanings are, we can stand together and say that the actions and language of Hate and violence are simply in no way consistent with the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. But with all of the horrible things that we've seen lately, and with what we've seen in the past years, these seeds of distrust that are growing and growing, I come back to that quote from Dr. King. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But by all means, keep moving. You know, I'm okay with moving forward at a slow pace. I'm okay if we have to crawl for a while, as long as I can see that we're moving in the right direction. What about when it feels like we're not? What about when it feels like, despite all our best efforts to be better people, to be a better nation, we're moving in the wrong direction? We're going back to a darker, more divided, more hate-filled world. So my friends, how can we move forward? Today we're going to look at the story of Jonah, but before we get into this story, I want to say two things about Jonah. The first is that the book of Jonah is a very short book in the Bible. It's four chapters long, they're short chapters, in most Bibles this is two to four pages. So if you have been wanting to read more of your Bible, but you don't want to read too much of your Bible, you can read the book of Jonah. You can go home and do this in a half an hour. I invite you to read Jonah. But the second thing I want to say about Jonah is that everybody knows a little something about it, because it's that story of the guy who gets swallowed by the whale. And if you went to Sunday school, maybe you remember that Jonah got swallowed by a whale because he was resisting God's call. 
But friends, there is so much more to this story than that. And I promise you, if you haven't before, as we take a close look at this story, especially the ending, will surprise you and it will challenge you because it really speaks well to our world today. So Jonah was a prophet. That means he was someone who speaks on behalf of God. And here is how the book of Jonah begins. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, which is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Now the Assyrians at the time were the enemies of Israel. But it was really more than that. You see, as the Assyrians grew in power, they had this reputation growing as this empire that was spreading terror in the world. Because they didn't just defeat their enemies, they tortured them. They slaughtered entire cities that stood against them. So in the eyes of Israel, the Assyrians were the absolute embodiment of evil in the world. And so God tells Jonah to go to the capital city of your evil enemies and preach to them. Give them a warning that God wants them to change their ways. But Jonah doesn't want to go, and so he doesn't go to Nineveh. Now let me show you, here's a map of the ancient Near East. There's an actual picture of Jonah right there. Jonah is in northern Israel, and then Nineveh is several hundred miles northeast of where Jonah is. In modern days, this is close to the northern border of Iraq. But instead of going that way, here's the path that Jonah takes. You see, he heads west to this port city of Joppa, and then he sails to Tarshish. And we don't know exactly where Tarshish refers to. It could be anywhere from modern-day Turkey to the western coast of Spain. The point is that Tarshish is on the other side of the Mediterranean. It is hundreds of miles in the opposite direction of where God tells Jonah to go. And that's where Jonah heads. For Jonah, it's literally the opposite end of the known world. So during this boat ride, the ship that Jonah's on gets caught in this great storm. And other than Jonah, all hands are on deck during this storm. They're all praying to their gods. And then all of the crew, the sailors, start to throw all the cargo they can overboard to try and lighten the load of the ship. And you know where Jonah is all this time? Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came to him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. You see, everyone else is doing everything they can to keep the boat afloat, and Jonah can't be bothered to do anything. Even when this captain, who is someone of a different religion, says, let's try your God. Let's pray to your God, Jonah. Jonah won't have it. He's not interested. So the sailors then cast lots, which is what you would do in the ancient world to try and discern the will of the gods. And sure enough, the lot falls to Jonah. And when the lot falls to Jonah, he says to the crew, you know what, this is all on me. This is my fault. I'm refusing to listen to God. And he tells them, you should throw me overboard. Now remember, this is a very different worldview than our worldview today. We don't believe today that God sends storms to punish people. But that is how they saw the world at this time. And so think about it. Even though Jonah thinks that God caused this storm and that God could stop it, Jonah doesn't pray. 
Jonah doesn't say as we hope that he might, okay, God, I've got the point. We'll turn this ship around if you save us. Jonah isn't interested. He would rather be thrown into the sea than change his mind and go to Nineveh. But these sailors, even though Jonah tells them to throw him overboard, they don't at first. They do everything they can. They pray to Jonah's God, Yahweh. But then when the storm keeps going, eventually they throw him overboard. And here Jonah is ready to die, but God doesn't let him die. You know what happens next. Jonah gets swallowed by this big fish, and he spends three days and nights in the belly of this fish while he prays to God. Now, a lot of people get held up on this part of the story. Because you ask those questions, well, how could that happen, right? There's no way that that could literally happen. And I'm not going to spend time addressing that question, because for me it doesn't really matter if or how it literally happened or not. This story is more like a parable. And so next, the fish spits Jonah back out onto the shore. And for the second time, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And this time, Jonah doesn't see any other choice. And so he heads to Nineveh. He preaches to them what God told him to preach. He says, God, there are going to be bad things happening to you. God wants you to change your evil ways. And sure enough, they do it. There's this proclamation from the king of Nineveh. All shall turn turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. So God sees that these Ninevites repent. So God doesn't destroy them. God doesn't send any calamity their way, happily ever after, right? But the story doesn't end there. Here's where things get really interesting in chapter 4. But this, this being the fact that God didn't destroy Nineveh, this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Did you hear that? It turns out that the reason all along that Jonah ran away is not because he thought it would be a hard task. It's not because he was worried his life might be in danger like we might assume. The reason that Jonah does everything he can to stay away from the city of his enemies is because he knew God might show them mercy and forgive them, and Jonah didn't want that. He wanted his enemies to suffer and die as they deserved for what they had done to his people. And then Jonah says that line, it's better for me to die than to live. You see where Jonah is? He would rather die then let his enemies be forgiven. Jonah would rather die than see his enemies be shown mercy. There's one more part to this story, Jonah and the plant. So after all of this, Jonah goes outside the city and the text tells us he set up a booth. So he picks this nice place where he can sit down and watch the city of Nineveh. Why? On the off chance that God will change God's mind and decide to destroy Nineveh anyway. Jonah is waiting and hoping for that destruction. Do you see how bitter Jonah has become? The only hope he has left is the hope that he'll get to see someone else suffer. Then verse six, the Lord appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. 
I love that line. With everything serious that's going on here, well, Jonah was very happy about the bush. You know, waiting on the hope that you're going to see fire and brimstone kill thousands of people, it's a tough job, but it's a lot easier when you at least get to do it in the shade. And so Jonah was very happy about this little bush, but Jonah was not in luck that day. When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. Really? You get the sense that maybe Jonah is a bit of a drama king. He wants to die because of the bush. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And Jonah said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And that's how the book of Jonah ends, with that question. We see that Jonah doesn't want this plant to die, but he wants God to destroy this city with 100,000. 120,000 people and animals, this civilization that had taken hundreds of years to develop, should God not care about Nineveh? See, that last question isn't really for Jonah, though. It's for us. Should God not care about our enemies? Should God not show mercy and forgiveness on those people, whoever those people are for you? You know, I think that we love God's mercy and grace. We love it when it's for us. But it's much harder to accept that God shows that same boundless mercy and grace for the people we absolutely despise. We live in this culture that loves the sports team mentality. Do you know what I mean? Like you pick your team, whatever it is, and then you stay loyal to that team. And what you really want is for your team to win and then the other team to lose and that's all that matters. So you're on the Browns team, or you're on the OSU team, you're on the liberal team, or the conservative team, you're on the pro-life team, or the pro-choice team, and our culture tells us that the only path forward is to defeat the other team. It's all about us versus them. But when we see the world in terms of us versus them, look at what happened to Jonah. This story shows us the dark path that that leads us down, the path of someone who cares more about a plant than the lives of 120,000 people. You see, when we get consumed in our self-righteous anger, it's all we have left. It's like that proverb of someone who drinks a cup of poison and then waits for their enemy to die. One of the most challenging things that Jesus ever said was to love your enemies, right? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to condone what your enemies do. Look at this story. God's message to Nineveh was a harsh one. God calls them out and tells them to change their evil ways. There is a place for truth-telling. There is a place in our world for accountability and consequences. But you can't have God's justice without God's mercy, What we see over and over again is that God leaves room for redemption for everyone. 
including for us. And guess what? You and me, we need that redemption too. Sometimes in our, our efforts to be more like Jesus, we end up following the footsteps of Jonah instead, following that bitter, dark road. So back to that question at the beginning. How do we move forward? Well, look at what we see in Jonah. God is already extending mercy and love in the, and forgiveness in the world, whether we like it or not. Jonah isn't about that at all, but God is doing it anyway. God is moving us forward to a better world, even when God has to drag us, kicking and screaming, because God's love wins. Amen.